is that going to be the last Mission Impossible? It actually is impossible. It is. They impossible. finally do one that's impossible. They're like, oh shit. I mean, uh, death. I mean, yeah. That that is the mission accepted. Uh, that ultimate conclusion. Country. That undiscovered country. <laughs> is it impossible? Well, never really is. It. Uh, they figure it out. You like you like for one to be impossible at some point. I feel like it's a bit of a bait and switch. <laughs> this one is only half done, though. I mean, because true, it's, true, it's, could still be impossible. Could still be. Could still be impossible. <laughs> TBD. Ah. The, but but I mean, there are missions within the mission, right? Yes, like a video yeah. game. Like you oh, know, very much so. Like. Uh, like uh, the lovely Katie, she was just playing the Zelda game. Many quests, many mini quests, many sub quests, so and many. side quests. So many. And I guess, I guess only only one of them can be impossible, right? Otherwise, the movie's gonna be quite short. Mm-hmm. Although it would actually be an interesting movie if they just failed at every turn, <laughs> right? At every it reminds time. me of a Peter Yates film, The Hot Rock. Where they uh, they rob they they're trying to it's a heist movie and they they get this diamond and every single time they like get the diamond but then lose the diamond and yeah. so then they go to get it again and then they lose it again and then they go to get it again and it's not and so it's ultimately failure after Although failure. That, that after is failure. part of the dynamic of this movie is he keeps on getting and losing the the MacGuffin of this MacGuffin, movie. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's sort of is part of what drives the action of this yeah. movie. So I guess that's kind of what's going on here. But it's, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I will be interested to see in Dead Reckoning Part Two. Part I think two. Are there going to be two, or there be three? No, I think it's two. Okay, I think they split it into two. I'll, I maybe it will prove impossible yet. Is this supposed to be the last one? Right? Isn't the next one supposed to be the last you one? Know, they said they. You know, I'm no, I don't know that for sure. I've heard rumblings that they might want to still continue in in a, some kind of capacity. But you're right. I don't I don't know how long he he. You know, Tom Cruise keeps saying keeps cruising, he keeps, keeps on cruising, cruising, and he wants to uh, he wants to keep doing this till he's like eighty. He keeps saying, or until he well, dies. he's he's going to die on the screen. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, he's heading for a <laughs> a. Kind of Brendan Lee style. Oh yeah, I mean that's what he wants, right? He he is making movies. He wants to die a soldier, a, a, an entertainment soldier's death, yeah. right? He wants to he wants to go out on the Our field. Hollywood Jesus Christ. Yeah, he wants to go out on the field. Yeah. Right? He doesn't want to. This is not a man who dreams of dying in his bed. This is a man who dreams of dying in a stunt so insane and stupid. No human except him would attempt it. Yes, yeah, that seems to be where he's he's heading. Yeah, and they've they've even moved the stunts around. Like Christopher McQuarrie refuses to like save it for the last bit so that he he will die. Like if he does die, they still have a movie. He's like, no, we're gonna do the crazy one first. And if you die, there is no movie. And so maybe there's that. That's like an incentive where he's like, well, I will not die. I will not end in in. in tragedy i will make this stunt work but it's insane i mean he's a bit of an insane person a i mean bit? <laughs> a bit i query that i'm christopher mcquery that <laughs> so you can probably tell you're hearing voices like i say you're hearing voices that's hearing my that's voices. my tagline for you that's what we're putting on the t-shirt you're hearing voices it's me and kyle we're here to talk to you about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, seven, the seventh movie, Part so One, Part of the Seven, seventh, Part One, yeah. Part Seven, Part One. 
first of seven, seventh of first. <laughs> I don't know. I don't seventh, know. Seventh son of a seventh son. It's the yeah, seven brides for seven brothers. <laughs> uh, maybe just the movie seven, right? A lot of seven <laughs> movies. Seven, a very auspicious number, a very, very number pregnant with with meaning and significance, a prime number. So, Kyle, you were hyped up for this movie. I you was. like these movies. I like You're these a, movies you a, bit like, a lot. You like an impossible mission. I grew up watching the. The, not the original TV show, but the reboot of the TV show in the 80s with oh, nice. my dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With my dad. It's funny because then they would give you, in a futuristic touch, he'd get the missions on these little discs that would self-melt. In a retro touch, he gets, uh, Tom Cruise gets these, I think it was Peter Graves, right, in the original. Yeah, Peter Graves. Yeah. He would get him on a little disc that melted. Uh Tom Cruise gets it on a little mini cassette tape, right? Yeah. Which I remember from my youth. That was one way you could have a portable recorder before digital technology. You could have a little cassette tape, a little, like tiny, they, they, little tiny one, a little midgy cassette tape. In the original, the remake, uh, with John, you know, they wanted Peter Graves to play the, the John Voight character because that's essentially who he's playing. Um, and he gets a, a disc in, in homage to, to the original series. Um, so, I mean, I mean, they've, they've tried to keep up this kind of like technology that, that can serve as analog and disposable for the missions. I like that. It's always been interweaved in the, in the series. We love it. Well. We love yeah. it. It'll destruct. It always destructs. I always <laughs> when I was a kid, when the little thing would self melt, I always thought that was so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, How does it do that? <laughs> so Kyle. You you dead reckoned your way across town. You dead reckoned your way to a Dolby Cinema. Did you go to a Dolby Cinema? I went a to Thomas a Dolby, Dolby cinema. cinema. Yeah. You dead reckoned your way to it. I did. To your seat. Somebody was in my seat. Oh no! And they just he just looked at me slack jawed when I told him. Basically said that one's mine. I don't really care. I'll sit right here. But if someone shows up, this could be an issue. Nobody showed up. That's good. I sat two seats down and it was fine. I thought well, you didn't make them move. A, I don't. I, I whatever. I don't care if I'm two seats over. Yeah, I wouldn't make them move. They seem <laughs> to be having a hard time. Okay, well then they that's seem fair. to be. This these seem to be not a hundred percent. So I I didn't. Whatever. I let it ride. I let it ride. It was in my. I usually sit in the middle of the third row, so I sat slightly off center in the third row. It was a pretty full theater, as you'd expect. Big, yeah, big yeah. movie, big opening. You made your way to the Thomas Crown Affair Dolby Cinema, <laughs> and you watched this movie. You watched two hours and forty minutes. Uh, it was, yeah, there was a lot. There was and a lot. how did you feel? Tell us about your feelings. Kyle. My general tell, feeling. Tell me how you feel. Well, my general feeling is this is exactly what I want out of a blockbuster. You know, that's good. I feel good for you. I feel good because when I see these movies, I think about you sometimes. <laughs> I just want you to feel good. Yeah, I want you to feel good. I want that too. I and and, and you feel it's harder to make you feel good. You're more discerning cineast than well, I am. And and here's the I don't thing. really know what I bring to the table here. You bring a lot to the table. You bring a critical eye. No, you bring too and, much. You bring and, much and, uh, to and, and analytical tools. Well, cinematic knowledge. Well, and you just, look good too. You're oh, you're I, easy on the eyes. I appreciate that. Well, luckily, you know, for some people, this is audio only. You know, you know, because they couldn't we, handle it. They, they couldn't, couldn't handle, handle it. Our, our YouTube days. <laughs> our YouTube uh, days. So, so, so this is exa- okay. Say more. 
So, so, and actually, uh, the, even my theater experience was not like ideal. I, I was sat next to a couple who proceeded to bring a picnic basket uh, into the entire. I don't know how they Whoa. snuck it in. But yeah, but they were bringing out sandwiches that were wrapped up. They had chips that they were sharing. Uh, which Cheap took- ass. Cheap ass move. Buy some popcorn. Took them thirty minutes to finish. I mean, a, a good good chunk. Of I the did. Movie. I did smuggle in a bar. I'll take. I'll bring in that's a little a little bar. That's a little fine. Cliff I bar. I, I think. Don't care. I think that that's the you know. I just found not, it a not, little obnoxious. I hope it was tuna fish. Luckily, it wasn't. But I could smell pickles, and so uh, there were, there were definitely pickles on this guy's sandwich. Okay, which which would put me in a mindset where I'm like, I'm just not like, and if it were a bad movie, it would sour the experience real quick. And here's the thing about mission impossible. I love this series. It's had its downs for sure. I mean, we can all remember John Woo's um, mission impossible Two. Can we? we, I can, I can, I go back and my dad was working at Paramount at the time. We got to see an early screening. And even as a kid, I knew it was bad. Like I knew it was silly, and and not that silly can't be good, but like it it, it turned it into a kind of parody of Mission Impossible. Uh, the soundtrack with Limp Biscuit and uh, Metallica original song was a bit uh, much. <laughs> old metal, new metal coming together, coming together. That's like a, what's a metaphor, right? Old Mission Impossible, new Mission Impossible, new Mission old Impossible. metal, new metal. And uh, it it didn't f- really find its footing until. You know, J.J. Abrams, I think some people don't like the J.J. Abrams chapter, but I actually do. I thought it was pretty, it, it kind of re-energized the series into what they they sort of wanted. Philip Seymour Hoffman I thought was quite good. Jeremy Renner was a good addition. I, I don't know where he, he, he was almost supposed to take over the franchise. And uh, obviously Tom Cruise was like, mm, I'm not going to let that happen. Nah, brah. And then, you know, you got Brad Bird doing Ghost Protocol, which I thought enhanced the stunt work, enhanced the kind of vision, the the locale adventurism, the almost like James Bond-esque dedication to the franchise and expanding it. And it's Christopher McQuarrie who's like really energized and put in a combination of homage to the original series, a love for and partnership with Tom Cruise in, in orchestrating a vision of practical effect entertainment you know stunt work you know there there is cgi work to like disguise uh disguise a lot of it but i mean there are physical sets there are physical stunts and uh through rogue nation i think he complicated the narrative um quite appropriately i liked the villain edition and then fallout was kind of like a uh, tour de force delivery on the foundation of Rogue Nation. So now we're entering kind of new territory with the franchise. There, there was a series of chapters that were kind of connected. And while Ethan Hunt and his team are kind of, you know, you know, globe trotting and uh, impossibling missions, you know, here and there. Yeah. Uh, with this one, it's a new villain, but they're they're kind of ham fisting a kind of past to it. So I actually. It took me a while to get into the mode because actually uh, the first 30 or so minutes is a lot of exposition, a lot of setup, a lot of setup for um, the villain at hand, but also the kind of villain that's outside of the villain, this whole uh, sentient AI device and weapon, which honestly, once that was like hit, like being introduced, I, I, I had a giggle. Because I think it is incredibly silly. Uh, not that this is like uh, the, the anxieties of our time and it makes sense that they're like tackling this. But it's not bad. It's not silly in a totally bad way. 
I think it leaned in a kind of television series way, going back to its kind of roots. And even though it's a it's a kind of ridiculous premise, and they enhance the melodrama, the in between moments uh, between the action set pieces are not as tight and uh, are are a bit over, over the top uh, in a sense of dramatization. But I thought overall, for two hours, 43 minutes, I did think it breezed by surprisingly, even with a lot of weight, uh, narrative, exposition weight. And those set pieces are just absolutely thrilling. And honestly, that's why you go. go, And and if that's your expectation, it's the same reason you go to see the gunplay and the stunt work for John Wick. I mean, Mission Impossible is the same thing. There's a lot of excuse and a lot of kind of narrative dead weight that they that they organize in order to set these things up, but they take their time in order for you to understand the characters, understand the stakes in the situation, understand what is you know how are they adapting, evolving, and that's what makes it exciting. You know, so it's not just you know a spectacle for its sake. It's it's the characters within the spectacle. And uh, Macquarie's a great screenwriter. He you know one you know started his career winning an Oscar, doing the Usual Suspects. And has generated uh, interesting career as a filmmaker who understands complexity, but also character and and how they are rooted in uh, the dynamics of his script. And honestly, I I could have asked maybe for a little more in a sense of of some of the new characters, some of the dramatization, some of the villainy. Um, but again, this is part one to a part two. I think it sets up a lot of moving pieces quite nicely. And I thought the set pieces, I mean, that train set piece at the finale is just jaw-dropping. Like going from car to car to car as it is, you know, each car is falling. It's not one car, it's like five. And each each one presents a new obstacle. Just how do, how do you do that in a repetition and also make it interesting is difficult. And I, I think they succeed quite a bit in this movie. I don't know how you felt. Oh yeah, this is this is as good like a a sort of blockbuster go see it in the theaters type movie as I think we're gonna get. Yeah, I think it's kind of amazing to watch a movie like this after watching Indiana Jones. I know, yes, because it's like the absolute worst execution of long action sequences against the absolute best. Absolutely. I don't think, and one thing that this movie is really a testimony to because of that is the importance of having, or what you get when you have like an actually quite gifted writer constructing the plot. Yeah. Right. Because what McQuarrie understands that whoever like, like, it's clear that there are a bunch of action movies that are made where the action sequence could be scripted uh, in an eighth of a page. And it's yeah. like a car chase happens. And it's two people, two, two whatever, two actors, right? I don't mean actors in the screen sense. I mean actors in, like, the game theory sense. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a chaser and a chasey, and you just kind of do that for as long as you want, sure. I guess. Yeah. The, the the One of the things that's really brilliant about this movie is the interaction between the sort of macro-level story of all these different people converging yeah. and the way that that yeah. plays out in every action sequence. Because there's always like three or four or five different things going on. And the way that Macquarie can layer them and recombine them and drop and pick, like throw a ball up in the air, go to something else, pick that ball back up, bring that yeah. back, yeah. bring the thing back around is really brilliant, right? And it shows... a 
a real intricacy of plotting, right, that is kind of amazing. Yeah. And that really elevates the movie in all kinds of ways. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And for, with that in mind, it that, that's what enhances our engagement with these things. You know, because when to set up a, an excuse for action or spectacle or these... You know, an onslaught of CGI spectacle that happens these days, whether it's Transformers, whether whether it's Marvel, it's it's exhausting most of the time visually. Like it just yeah. it just it, it pummels you, and you're like, oh, I I can't make heads or tails of what is going on. There is no kind of grounding and understanding of of where you are situated in the sense of action. It's just kind of being launched at you, and it's exhausting in a sonic and sensory kind of sense. And with this one, in in articulating the space, articulating the players involved and where they are situated, as you said, there's a convergence of a lot of players. And and I would, it's funny because sometimes the action has the same kind of. We could complain in Indiana Jones that it has this like kind of repetition of setup and delivery, where it's like, oh, they get the thing, or and then the Nazis come, they don't get the thing, and then they have a chase. And there's kind of this exhausting repetition to it. But that's not with with Mission Impossible. Like you have the 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 other team, the other IMF team chasing them. You also have that the you know the rogue team. You know they start off rogue from the very beginning, not like turning rogue as they do in traditional sense earlier on going after some sort of enemy and they're the convergence of the different motivations of these people and some have the leg up and some you don't you know with which each situation it's set up you know in a club sequence or in a car chase sequence in, in italy where there's a repetition in the players converging but it is in its execution and how they are leaning on each one and who who has the upper hand in one situation where it makes it exciting and you don't know how it's going to ultimately end up there. And and I think this is a dedication to Tom Cruise, his ability, you know, as somebody who takes everything very seriously as a craftsman, as a stuntman, as an actor, that he's willing to look silly and he's willing to look vulnerable. And this goes back to like the original mission impossible. He's, he, he can look silly. He can look vulnerable. And that informs a lot of, what goes on in some of these action sequences, like to, for him to be not always perfect in that car sequence with Haley Atwell, as they are, you know, handcuffed together, it shows a dedication that, that he understands Ethan Hunt as a character and what, what makes us engage. It's not just spectacle for its sake. It's not just like polished, uh, you know, frictionless ideas that there is, there's friction within the spectacle where where they are lo- losing or gaining momentum depending yeah. on the the goal. Yeah, and, and, but it, and it's it's all that, but it's also just the number of things that are going on. Yeah, right. The number of different like plots and subplots that he runs through these action sequences, a multitude, and yeah. makes them work and makes it continue to ratchet up the tension and also add variety and interest to the sequence. It's just phenomenal. I yeah. Mean, like, like that first big sequence in the airport, right? It's yeah. just like, what is going on there? You've got Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg who are kind of doing their computer thing, but then Pegg has to go deal with this bomb thing. You've got this thief that gets introduced. She's running her own storyline. Yeah, yeah. You've got Ethan doing his thing. You've got the, the other team chasing him. You've got the introduction of the, the <laughs> another villain coming in who's yeah. kind of just lurking around. 
and who then you've got the guy that they're trying to hit who isn't ends up not being the guy because he gets killed right it's yeah. just it's just so many different moving parts right yes. and the fact that they can do it and that it works and that it's engaging and keeps you interested is just really brilliant yeah, it keeps you on your toes it keeps you interested it keeps you uh, it, there are surprises you know while maybe the overall trajectory of of the mission is that they succeed, you know that's kind of the expectation when you go into the, our heroes are ultimately going to succeed. They have to have downs. They have to have improvisation and 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 bringing us along with that kind of the plan. And they even tell Ethan at one point, it's like don't change the plan. But he has to. He changes the plan all the time. Yeah, and it keeps us excited because we don't know exactly how it's going to go down we don't know exactly how they're going to succeed or pull it off in any of their situations and so i love it i love every time there's a new chapter of this the series because they they're not crap they're not they're treating the audience as a part of the puzzle as part of what makes it exciting certainly it's exciting to make certainly it's exciting to tell but we have to be as equally engaged we can't be passive in the, in these watches and we are not we are constantly engaged in what might be what you know as as Simon Pegg is trying to read those riddles we might be able to figure out yeah. in the time gap as they're trying reading it out. We might be able to figure out the riddles too, and that that's very exciting. It, it gets us involved as as though we're part of the team, which is it, the whole generation and feeling of what Mission Impossible is all about. Yeah. And so I like I love I love this franchise, and so it it didn't disappoint. Like there there are there are pieces that I'm like oh I'm not like I don't love the glue that holds it all together completely. But I, I can't mostly complain. But, but, but the the genius. I, I, I want to talk more about story and yeah. like those inner the, the non action sequences because I think there's more maybe more to talk about there Absolutely. in terms of what works or doesn't work. I think the I think the thing that is smart about the villain is that the villain's not really the villain. The AI is is ridiculous in some sense because it's like why is it destroying everything? We, who knows? Who right? knows? Who knows? Who, who knows? Who cares? Right? Doesn't really matter. The point is that it's the. It's just another MacGuffin, right? Yeah. Everyone, but it also what it facilitates, right? From a story perspective, is that everyone is kind of swirling around it, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's this extreme. It's a more in it, and it it also facilitates like some cool moments of, like the uncertainty about everything, like what well, we can't communicate with computers. The sequence yes. where it, it takes the yeah. voiceover and it kind of misleads him. It does facilitate the kind of. It's better than a like a nuke. Like it, it, the old classic would be like a nuke, right? Where like everyone's trying to get the nuke, right? But the <laughs> nuke is just a thing, yeah. Right? Yeah. The AI is everywhere. It affects everything. It injects all this uncertainty. It injects all this additional layer of fear and suspense because yeah. it could kind of be anywhere or doing anything. And then it gets this physical manifestation, right? In terms of like one of our villains, right? And I think that that lets, once again, that lets a lot of, you get so many different people kind of coming into the situation to kind of try to get this thing, manipulate this <laughs> yeah, thing, avoid yeah. this thing, harness this thing. It's good. It, it's a smart, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've talked in other contexts about, like, my feelings about artificial intelligence panic, which I think is overwrought and entirely driven by the people who are trying to sell you something, right? Sure, yeah. Like, the idea that this is the thing that's coming is 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 pretty ludicrous. But as a story conceit, I think it works really well. Yes. Yeah. Because it kind of, it you, whatever, like, you know, if you don't buy into the idea, like, this is a problem that needs to get solved, I guess the movie's going to be a hard watch for you because you're going to be like, what are these fuck are these people doing? 
but I'm willing to go along with that. And I think most people are going to be willing to go along with like, what if there's like this, no big deal. This thing's bullshit. I mean, they established that it's a big deal in the first sequence where it yeah. fucking makes the sub blow itself up. Yeah. Right. So, so I think most people will buy into that. And at that point, I think it's good because of its kind of ubiquity and it's kind of formlessness, right? It really is. It really lets everything else kind of become the thing. Right? Yes. Yeah. Right. And, and so you get a lot of basically the movie is just a lot of villains, right? It's a I lot know. of villains yeah. running a lot of different running a lot of different kind of plans and schemes. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because you, you do have the AI kind of as this entity on the periphery, but also engaged in every uh, action and situation you have the, as you said, this personification of it, which by the way, if I guess if it's revealed that it's not actually the person that Ethan, like it's not actually the person who killed his partner in the past, that it's like, it's some kind of visual generation. Cause like at one point, um, his he betrays his own henchwoman based off of like an algorithm or formula story formula like he it, like it and it just like kind of switches on and i'm like does he have something in his ear or is he being like controlled by the ai like if that's revealed that i by the way silly it would still be silly and i would love it i would love how silly that is you know if if that's what's going on either or it's 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 a uh, a piece of the puzzle that is unanswered at this point but it's it's giving texture and giving a different kind of uh, angle in the uh, in the as you said a multitude of villains and then you have even like ethan's government is like, trying to manipulate the system for well, itself and, and, and which the, is the weakest part I, and but yeah it's like when kittredge shows back up at the end like i'm like I, this there was there was like one too many twists there where it's like okay like they're they're running their own scheme too and da 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 da, da. i was like that's fine it's fine yeah but, but the, the, so, so it was almost because they got henry's journey who was only in the Mission Impossible 1. Like, he played Kittredge in Mission Impossible 1, and he hasn't been back in the series since. And so they, it's like they paid him to come back, and they're like, well, we got to use him in some sort of, sort of way. Yeah, but that, that to me felt like a little, okay, like, oh, it's supposed to be, well, it's the big reveal. Um, so, so so if I would quibble with the movie. Yeah. Oh, I, let me say one more thing about it that's unabashedly positive. Definitely go see this if you can in, like, oh my goodness, the Dolby yeah. Theater. The way, the things he did with sound in that, in oh, terms of creating like this immersive feeling with that, like those like subharmonic like bass things. Yes, I think you can only do that in a Dolby theater. I think so, and yeah. it, it's clearly something that they did. Like they clearly did something special in the way they use sound in some of these large format theaters. I mean, to it, make it feel immersive in ways that I haven't seen before. I've never seen anyone use yeah. that technology in that way. I mean, but I, 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 the sound design has always been quite impeccable with the Mission Impossible series. I do remember Fallout. I was like, this is this is on another level. But I think you are correct. I think in the the what the 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 optimal version of sound, I think can only be really gener- generated and be that immersive kind of thing in a Dolby uh, theater. And it was impressive. Yeah, like, I mean, like, I mean like, like the wind ripping through the desert or, yes, like, or yeah. like the car. Like, I, I've never seen anyone do that. Yeah. And I think that it has to be a feature of those theaters. And I was legitimately impressed. I was like, like so, so, so from a technical standpoint, uh, yeah, you, too, yeah. Can't, you can't argue with it. I mean, well, I, was, I was amazed. And it didn't feel gimmicky and it no. didn't feel tacked on. No. It felt totally immersive and legit, and I was very impressed with well, that. Well, and it, and it's through sound and through the technicality that 
all of the, you know, what I what did I complain about Indiana Jones? It's that everything, it, everything, but it's it's that it wasn't tangible. It wasn't a tangible reality. Like they're in these places, but it feels like almost like a generated cartoon of the idea of yeah. that place. And so here they're in the desert, and as you said, you feel you feel the sand, you feel the winds, you are immersed in that action set piece and in, in that in that opening. You go go to the car sequence in Italy and uh you know you're you're feeling every bit of reverb and uh connectivity to that car going downstairs just like hitting every single stair. There's just something about the 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 fullness of it and the fact that you know it's 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 every locale every location they're dedicated to being immersed in that place and highlighting it in its beauty and locale and then it's the you know Macquarie can interweave humor better than most people in a sense of writing pacing and introduction like the fact that after, you know, as an example when they're being chased by as it, I guess the actress's name is Palm. Klimatov, you know, Klimatif, and uh, she she plays um, Mantis in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy series. She's the ba- bad uh, bad girl henchman, henchwoman. You know, she's chasing them down, and when they get to the bottom of the, I think the Spanish Steps, uh, yeah. and they they they're trying to. She's driving. Haley Atwell's uh, new addition is driving, and they're going around the circle. And she's like confused as the bad guy. What are they doing? I just let it's it's that little thing. It's like they're not. It's not impeccably executed because it and, and like just, any mission. It's how not going happy to be. She looks in that giant Unimog or whatever she's driving <laughs> yeah. when she runs things over. She just looks so happy. I'm yeah. like, I felt good for her. She's a good addition. I actually liked a lot of the new characters. Um, I thought she was great as a, as a, a threatening, I, I, you know, where they take the character and that kind of sense of formula. I, th- I was like, um, you know, maybe that we could have had a little more complication, and maybe there will be. Maybe there will yeah, be. They, Who they, knows? It looks like they're going to keep her around. They're going to keep her around. There's there's that hint. Uh, but I liked Haley Atwell. I do love Haley Atwell. I I think she d- is deserving of more. You know, she she's locked in that. You know, because she's she was in Captain America, and then she was in that Doctor Strange kind of rendition of being Captain America or Captain Britain, Captain Britain, Britannia. Um, and I, I, I find her captivating. I find yeah. her, I, th- I find her, her ability to be just as capable in a sense of action and uh, learning in in the in the realm of in being in addition to the IMF and that team. I like her. I like her a lot. I like they make a joke about the International Monetary Fund, which I think is always always out there, right? Not that IMF, not not the World Bank. Uh, So so things that are, I don't know, interesting, weird, potential, you know, criticisms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There are some. I did think that, so this, this isn't really a criticism. I mean, it's... McCoy has like these different ideas that he's floating in. I like I, said, I think from an action standpoint, the writing is impeccable. Yeah, and I do agree that he's better at injecting humor into it than most. I mean, also, I mean, I like Ving Rams and Simon Pegg. I think they're great, great. supporting characters. Little less of Ving like Rams this time than I wanted, but uh, I th- I think they're you saving like, him for a bigger part for the second. Part. Well, they even plant that right yeah. that he's got something. He's he's, he's cooking got something, something to do. But I mean, him and Pegg are. Are funny. They're a good dynamic. They they're clearly uh, a good addition, right? I always enjoy them. Yeah. Uh, that that opening dialogue sequence with all the uh, the 
I mean, it's clearly with, with all the government officials. They're clearly supposed to be a Greek chorus, right? Yes. Like the yeah. way they talk is is straight out of Sophocles, right? Because you've got a bunch of characters that are not really characters. Yes. Who are just kind of... Including Carrie immu- Ellis, who is, uh, you know, we, we really enjoyed in Operation Fortune, but here he's just kind of a but, templative. But, 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 but not even him, right? Because at least he has his own voice. You have these other people who are speaking in this way that is like kind of monotonous and monotone and kind of that's yeah, what they generals, are. That's what yeah. they do. They're coming. And it's, it's just sounded exactly like Sophocles. And I was sort of fascinated by it because it, it's he clearly wants this to be some sort of a Greek tragedy about human hubris. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. what that's what that is alluding to. And it kind of comes from nowhere and goes back to nowhere. Like the way they talk and kind of these characters that clear, like I said, they're clearly not characters. Yeah. They're not meant to do anything other than kind of speak out these lines, which are meant to be kind of in the way of a Greek course, like expressing this kind of. This fear, this sort of cryptic fear that we have that, like, technology is coming for us, which is clearly a real fear living in the world today. I don't think anyone doubts that, whatever skepticism I have. And I just thought that was interesting and weird and kind of a very particular choice that is meant to set a particular tone, right? I, I... I agree with you that the Ethan Hunt character as an action kind of like a rough around the edges a little bit, um, willing to be funny, willing to be like silly, vulnerable, vulnerable is good. Outside of the action sequences, I don't particularly love that character. Okay. Very melodramatic. He is. He He always uh, has been, though. Very like, um, it's just it's just kind of like it's almost like a more melancholy version of some sort of Dominic Toretto thing where it's like we're doing it for family. Like it's just like I care more about you than I do about myself. I mean, I guess the fact that he can kind of sell it is a credit to him, but like as a character when we're not in the action sequences, I'm kind of like okay. Well, and I agree with you. I and I think it's 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 weakest part this time. It's and and I I think they're trying to build upon the information, build upon the experiences that he has had recently in the past of the series, that he has been losing people and that he is desperate to keep people tethered, you know, with, with Rebecca Ferguson's character. Cause she, she is somebody he's like wanted to save and that she keep they, they, you know, Kittredge is like, well, she, you save her and she keeps going back. Like, you know, but, but it's not necessarily true because she is tethered to a, and you know a, a fealty to Ethan. You know there is a, a dedication to you know his vision that that his his rogue philosophy is for like the greater good and for you know the greater in, good the greater good. Um, I like that. Well, Simon <laughs> Pegg, jump in. He knows about that. He knows about that just a little bit. And so with I I agree with you. Like the the. It's not that the sentiments are wrong. I do believe that Ethan does value his team more than his own life. It's 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 in the deck it's in his actions that and it's true, like right? It's in the action that he does that proves that sentiment. He doesn't need to declare it. He doesn't need to say it. He might actually be better to have less words yeah. coming out of Ethan. Um, yeah, and Tom Cruise is a melodramatic dude. He very, very melodramatic. He's, I mean, his, his struggle to like, he sees himself as like the, one of the last great defender, defenders of like going to theaters and seeing movies in the cinema as I you're do. supposed to see them. I do appreciate he that. He sees himself but, as that. Yes. And I think that that's very earnest. Very. I think that's very earnest. His his gift and his curse is his earnestness. Um, but I do 
just feel sometimes i mean it's it's clearly it's become a little bit of a stock thing right yeah. because this is the same thing they do with the daniel craig bond where it's yes. like yeah. you just get him enmeshed with all these women right it's always these i mean he cares about the dudes too but it's usually like women the um, ethan has a lot of women now uh even even one's off screen this time because he still has like the michelle monahan connection from six that she's still alive she's still out there who could be brought in at any point to use as a weapon against ethan and so yeah there's like the, three four and and, and they just have this kind of tragic sort of of descent right yeah. where it's they they in spite of themselves maybe not bond it's more kind of in spite of himself i think ethan maybe less so but they just keep on accreting these connections and then something bad happens and they're haunted by it and they're constantly trying to redeem themselves and save the next woman the way they couldn't save the last one yeah right and it's just it, it i understand the need to put some layer of motivation on top of all yeah, of this yeah Right, so it isn't just like, but there's still sometimes this part of me that wishes like that could just be a little bit less, like that it didn't have to introduce this sort of melodramatic heaviness. Yeah, right. Well, and and it's I'll, a lot like the original Bond movies, right, where he's just cool. Yeah, and he didn't give a shit, and we still go along with it, right? We still we go still, along with it yeah. because he's just that cool. He's just that guy, and you buy that he's that guy that's going to do the thing. Yeah. You know, and he can bring that off, and Connery could bring that off. Yeah, and I, for whatever reason, I feel like we've become less comfortable with that character, and and there's some sort of, you know, storytelling mindset where it's like, oh, that we got to give him something. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they even weave that, even they almost explicitly that tension of what Ethan's going through and how he sees the women of his past onto the women in this film. And they have to, it, it's a choice. He's like, it's either this one or this one. And then it's not really his choice. Uh, Ferguson's character almost basically sacrifices herself to save this other woman, like to preserve some other future, you know, because there there is kind of a doomed quality to the femme fatale spy that, ferguson's character is brought to the franchise and so here's this other woman who could be preserved or utilized in a more effective positive or have have a future ahead of them in uh you know a way that she doesn't have that 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 it could be it could be fostered in a way but i agree with you it's it's these layers of complication the layers of directive with ethan to give him this kind of uh this burden on his shoulders these women in his life that Get, you know, when looking at it, gets a little overdone. It's a little overwrought um, as as the 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 film goes on, and then if you reflect on the series as a whole, it's like, oh, this just keeps going on. This is just his cross to bear in some sort of way. It's and, and but he does care about the men on his team too. He cares about everybody almost in a very. Uh, you know, a, a detrimental way, you know, because, uh, but, but I mean, but the, that's the complication of Ethan Hunt as a character. It's that, it's that principle because he's so principled. It's, it's almost the, he, that Tom Cruise sees his own sincerity in someone like Ethan Hawke. And of that's course. why they treat it. So in that realm and, uh, and it, and it's in, to its benefit at lar- large degrees and it, to its detriment to a large degrees. And, uh, you know, it just depends on where you land. Uh, I find him to be okay. I, I agree with you. I, I think the, the glue, like when I said earlier on, the, the glue that holds it all together, 
I don't think it's as strong as some of the other chapters. I think Ethan is a little more declarative this time. I think he's a little more emotional. And obviously they're trying to ramp that up with a, a past that's direct, directed that he may, might have like a, a vengeance streak in him. That, uh, that, that it could turn personal rather than professional. You know, his principle is is oriented in a kind of personalism, you know, with his team and otherwise, like he will preserve them. And that goes back to the first one, you know, losing his entire team. I, I see a lot of articles. They're like, they shouldn't have killed Emilio Estevez. I'm like, that's the whole point of the the entire franchise is built on the whole point that your expectation that even big name people could be, could die. You know, John Voight, you know, obviously John Voight doesn't die because he's the villain, in the of a spoiler alert, I guess you've never seen the first original Impossible, but at, at this point, I don't care. Um, but yeah, Emilio Estevez being a part of that team, you know, uh, there, there's another uh, famous actress, um, British actress on on the team as well at that point in her career. And the fact that that whole team gets decimated, it it sets your expectation for that movie alone, but also that anybody can die on this team, and and it keeps him on edge and preser- preserving, surviving. His team comes first, it's in, in at the expense of himself. That's why he does all the stunts. I mean, it, it orients it all very much that why he is doing all the, the grand stunt work, all the grand spectacle, is because uh, he doesn't want his team to do that. He is the one who's willing to put his body, his mind, and his life on the line versus everybody else. And it's all kind of integrated, And but the glue in between is a little more declarative, a little more emotional. I get. I guess I it makes sense. It, it, but but for me, I, I think it, it is a little overwrought at times. Not that it sticks around too long. And, you know, it's not far away from it informing, you know, action set pieces and character dynamics as it goes along, um, which I'm grateful for. I'm, uh, you know, if it was overwrought and a little overdone, but it didn't amount to much of anything or didn't provide, you know, a good foundation for where it's going to go... Yeah, I would find it more annoying. But yeah, I, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's not a huge quibble. No, it's no. a it's a legitimate quibble. it's um it's pretty yeah but it's minor i mean it doesn't really detract a lot from the movie yeah. occasionally it's just i was just a little bit like oh, okay yeah, yeah. He's, yeah he's tortured he's a, he is tortured. He's tortured by all this <laughs> shit you know he's tortured by the him. ever uh suffering jesus christ uh ethan Hunt. yeah he needs to know. bear up for all our sins yes right? for sure you know, and, that, and that goes back to the kind of this other through line right about the tragic nature of all this like he has to redeem us from our from our Promethean sins, right, yeah. of creating this thing that now is going to try <laughs> to destroy us for some, you know, for, for whatever reason. Yeah, and he's the only, he's almost the only one who could possess the power and deny it. He's the only one. Yeah, yeah, he's Frodo even Baggins. Have... <laughs> he's Frodo Baggins. And even, even Frodo can't uh, deny the power when it comes at the end. Uh, it's, it takes Samwise to help him out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I like I do like those elements. It's funny because it, it is very on-the-nose conversations, but you have this new team who's trying to hunt them down. And it really does help that I love Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum is a great actor, and I thought he was going to have a really minor role in this, but here he is, like, every step of the way on Ethan's ass, and I like it. And I, he also gets to be, like, a little slapstick. little slapstick. A little, a little silly. A little sort of, you know, a little wry, a little rough around the edges, right? Yeah, no, but th- that's, the, to me, the, the movie shines in its lesser characters, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's characters that, I mean, they're not, like, super deep or you, you don't really think too much about what's, what's driving them. But they, they have some business to do and they're fun. And they're also, 
another element that you can inject into these sequences to just add additional complications and give the thing yeah. additional texture. Yeah. Right. Which, like I said, that's the genius of the movie. Yes, absolutely. The genius of the movie is understanding. It's just, it really it's just translating the the logic of good storytelling to action sequence sequences, which is remarkably rare. Which is that triangles are always better. You need it's it, yes, it's much yeah. it's you can do a lot more if you have multiple parts than if you have two. If you have two, the conflict is just going to be pretty straightforward and simple. But if you have three or four, the conflict becomes kind of wild and crazy and unpredictable, right? Because it can spin off in all kinds of new directions yeah. that you wouldn't have even anticipated, yeah. right? And you can just permutate those things in all kinds of different ways to get different kinds of micro clashes, right, within a sequence. That's just good screenwriting. For That's sure. just good storytelling, yeah. right? It's understanding the value of having different things get planted and paid off at different moments through different actors with different motivations and then see how those things come together, right? And the alchemy of those things at any given moment can change, right? So th- that to me is 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 the genius of the movie is, is the understanding of how to use all these different parts yeah. in a very clockwork way versus, you know, just like I said, just like doing the same thing for 15 yeah. minutes yeah. until I just feel like numb. I just want to curl up in a, the fetal position. What are you trying to do here? Yeah. What are you and, trying to and, do? And that, that ability to go from, having this like a span of time, like however long, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And the difference between seeing a movie that's like one or two things versus seeing a movie that's like 20 things. Yeah. That's, that's really the difference, you know, that's all the difference in the world. It's really right? from a cinematic is. experience. Truly right? is. Truly is. I like the, the comment about the triangles are better because honestly, the, we, we, I, I guess it's easy when you have a dynamic of, of a straight line or, or a, you know, or or maybe a, a horseshoe shape, where where it's like villains, heroes, and they they're kind of like moving on this kind of trajectory. But a triangle is more interesting when you have this motivation over here, this motivation here, and they're all in contrast with each other. Just makes it incredibly, uh, you know, versatile. Yeah, yeah, like even that other team, right? They, they in at a critical moment they end up helping Ethan, even though they're still multiple trying to times, capture him multiple times because, and it's because of the triangle. It's it's that now there's like a a threat not only to them getting Ethan, but also them living. Like, yeah. and so they need, they need to unify. And I, and I like that because, because Shea Wiggum's uh, character is, is, is he, he's oriented in like this personal vendetta where he's like, I'm going to bring Ethan in. You don't know what it is yet. They haven't revealed it yet. They haven't revealed exactly what's motivating him. The, the drive, the personal drive to get Ethan, uh, it is part of just his uh, his instruction, his his mission himself. But at various times, he he looks at him in a very particular way, where he's like, "No, I know, I know what who this person is, and even though I, I need to bring him in as my ultimate goal, that's not what is needed at this yeah. moment." There's and some I like that. respect. I, yeah. I love it how I feel like Ethan Hunt has like so many like uh, follow me if you want to live moments. It's I know just like, it's just like <laughs> it's just like Terminator all the time. He's like I think he has like ten Terminator moments, right? Where it's like. If you want to survive the next five minutes, you have to do exactly as I say. Yeah, there's exactly. a lot of that. There's a lot of that in this movie. Yeah, he does that to Kittredge. He does that to Wiggum. He does that to Atwell's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, <laughs> he's got a lot of that going on. Ethan's always he's always out here being the Terminator. He's so he, the melodrama within Ethan. I mean, it makes sense. 
It makes sense. And I'm glad that I'm glad that he is the only one who's really rooted in it. I mean, his vil- the villain is also kind of meeting him. Oh on that yeah, level. no, they, 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 they talk about a dude taking himself seriously, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's funny, right? Because yes, you have these two guys that are just so self serious. Yeah, I know. And then you got all these people around them that are more kind of uh, a little rougher, little, a, a little, little pragmatic, more, a, little, a little more or just selfish, right? Selfish, yeah. And and yeah, then you have these two true believers, right? Which I guess is that they sort of say, but even then, like, that's a smart way to construct it, right? Where you have these two poles, right? Where you kind of, and then you have all these people in between who are going to kind of, yeah, who, who are, who, who will be with them or against them at different moments based on, the shifting, the yeah, shifting the sh- terrain, yeah, the shifting, you know, ter- you know, currents as what's going on. It, it makes it exciting, it's just, interesting. It's smart, it's smart screenwriting. It is. It reveals, yeah. and I and I think we don't often associate excellence in screenwriting with the intricate constructions. I mean, we we got to this when we talk about Avatar and that sort of tremendous final yes, sequence yeah, in that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't think. You know, when when people think about writing, they think about maybe the macro structure of the story, or they think about dialogue, right? Um, and maybe seeing construction to some extent, but seeing construction of action sequences is something in terms of a writing task. I just don't think you people talk too much about. Yeah, right. Like, oh, this person's a great action writer. You think, well, there. What is a great action writer? Like, what's the action on the on the page? It's uh, you know, they fight, right? What they they get in a fight. Right, that's the line on the script. But it's like this movie really demonstrates just what what value someone who understands how to construct story can bring to both an action movie, right? Because all these moving parts have to be set up in the broader story to make sense when they come together for the micro construction of the action sequence yeah, yeah. and all the little bits and bobs that make it what it is. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that plenty of people do think about this, but I just think in terms of the broader conversation around these movies, that's something we hear less of. And I think it really gets to the point that I keep coming back to with all these spectacle movies, which is what, you know, what makes, what differentiates them ultimately? Some, yeah. some we love, some we hate, some we're lukewarm on. What differentiates them? Well, to me, what differentiates this movie is that. Yeah. Is that ability yeah. to construct these these just Swiss watch level sequences, right? That just are, are just, and that they're all kind of perfect and they're all building on each other. It's like, it's, they're all mechanisms within each other. And even though they're separate in, in a really refined technical sense, the the story has them yeah. build and amp and amplify yeah. and uh, yeah, the, build the, upon the each other. The macro and the micro serve each other. Yeah. And they're both, like I said, the, there are issues of the macro story that we might take a little find, but, but it works well enough and it puts the yeah. pieces it puts the pieces on the board well enough that he's able to manipulate them in very useful and interesting ways so, when it comes time. Yeah, absolutely. I will have to say, I mean, what's so impressive about it, and even though I like this less than maybe even the last two, but it's still right there. The, like the quality is on the level that you're expecting. It's all in the little details that maybe you find some faults, maybe some things that don't hold up. Um, but I'll tell you this, as soon as I left the theater, and this is very, very, very rare these days, I experienced this with maybe John Wick and my my po- possibilities and capabilities with this as well, John Wick 4. I said to myself, if any friend wanted to go see that again, 
I would go in a heartbeat. Yeah. Because it is worth it. It's just even to repeat the viewing, it's worth it in a sense of re-engaging with all of its intricacies, all of its switch watch, um, you know, perfectionisms with with its micro elements to the ultra, ultimate macro uh, you know, yeah. delivery. And I, it's it's just it's so thrilling. It's so exceptionally thrilling. It's it's exactly what I miss in the theater, we don't get movies like where you're like, yeah, I want to, I want to experience that again. And in the big screen, you know, I'll pay that again. I'll yeah. do that again because it's exciting. A-list slots. I like this more. And, and I know, I know Top Gun was that for everybody last year. This, this is, oh, this, this is way is better. Way better. This is way better than Top Gun because, because the Top Gun, you know, the, the, this, the plane sequences are thrilling, but they're not as interesting. I agree. They're not, I mean, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. They're flying around. They're doing their thing. They're cool to watch. They're, they're fun. Uh, but they're not, um, they don't have anywhere near the kind of level of intricacy and plotting that these do. No, they're not, they're not no, at all. They're nowhere near as exciting. No, this, this is, I, yeah, I, I mean, this, this is, I would put this way above Top Gun. And, and like I said earlier, this is probably like if you have a Dolby theater, I would see it in that. Cause this to me is the best use case I've seen for in particular, the sound system in that theater, which is like in terms of the, the visual quality, the IMAX versus the Dolby. I don't know. That's probably, that's probably a horse apiece there. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of the sound quality, which makes sense. I mean, Dolby is a sound company sound first company. and foremost. Yeah. In terms of the sound quality and what that sound system can do, there is no comparison. No. Super. It, it was there a, is no comparison. It was a remarkable Amazing. cinema experience, and I had a lot of things going against me. I was very frustrated with the trailer, the trailer length again, because I'm oh, stupid. God, it's ben. nuts. I it's go there nuts. early. I go there too early. It's nuts because yeah, I, because when I set a time in my head, like I'm like I'm gonna be yeah, there. You got to trick time. your mind. I know. You got to you got to set it 15 minutes later. I know. I got to put it in my calendar you as gotta, though it's gotta, not that time. You got to set it 15 minutes later. because and and. Yeah, and then I sat down, and I did not like the people around me. Fucking Pickles. Fucking Mr. Pickles over here. Mr. Pickles. Like, I'm glad it wasn't an actual pickle jar. Like, that would have been quite quite the the sneaking. But uh, I I forgot about him. Yeah, he's got sauerkraut. (laughs) This would be the best. He's got a jar of sauerkraut just just, uh, stinking up the place. Kimchi. Ugh. I mean, I love kimchi Ooh, I, and sauerkraut. I, I love both of those things. But, I would not but, bring them but you the don't, theater. You don't. Heavy onions, you know, yeah. just anything really pungent. Yeah, I um, I once saw a screening of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is famously like three hours, at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica. And somebody brought clearly what I think was Indian curry into the theater. And uh, the, the mixture of Indian curry as a smell with buttered popcorn in the air and hot dogs Interesting. Uh, does not blend choice. very Interesting well. Choice. It's just the smell was not it's So not people great. are wild, man. People are wild out there. Yeah. People are getting wild out there. They're wild now. <laughs> I mean, and, and great, That's an impossible and, and, mission right there to deal the, with people. The couple next to me were talking quite a bit as they were having their picnic, as though they were on their fucking couch. I do have to say, and I'm pretty sure anybody listening to us talk about their pretty similar movie goers. I don't think I have to stress that. Like, do do not talk in the movie theater. Do not use your phone. Do not bring a picnic basket. I just That's so rude. I just it's just rude understand. to other people. Like, like if you like get up to go bathroom, you turn everybody and say, like, "What happened?" And they're like, eh, da, da, da. That's fine. that's fine. I don't care if you, about if that. you're like, oh man, if you look at your friend, oh man, like whatever, that's fine. This isn't church, but like people who are carrying on a conversation, this I do not understand. No, I don't. Like, 
I, it's uh, you stay home for that. Yes, you don't have to pay your money. You don't have to get in a car, right? Just stay home and talk stay to home. your people. Yeah. Right, that's the thing. Um, that's the thing. I just I don't understand that. Like I, I don't. I, I, and I mean, I'm you know I love to talk. I've run my fucking mouth all the time, but I I don't like to talk during a movie. That's why I usually go see movies alone. To be honest, I'm a I'm a solitary movie viewer yes i'm u- i'm usually that um katie and i go, well, yeah you, go when you we got your, you got your boo i do my boo is not really a movie person well the, the, i yeah. mean she it's not that she doesn't like them it's just that she very rarely if she has free time to do something to go out it's usually not to see not a movie. that not so that. that's how that's not how that she makes sense with her with her precious and limited free time well, I feel good about this. I do too. Go see I'm, it. Yeah. Go see it in a big. Go see it in a Dolby. Yeah, because any words that we say can't live up to the the experience of what these set yeah. pieces are like, and and what the whole totality yeah. of the story is. I you know because and that's that's actually really great when you can't when like words almost fail yeah, to well, the it's idea a visual medium. It. Yeah, it is. It it's is a visual but, medium. But uh, I I really man Mission Impossible. I was excited for it, and I got a little. I was my my excitement actually dwindled just in the past two months because every time I saw a movie, I saw a trailer for it. And I'm like, can we can we hold it off? I am excited. You do not need to amp me up or remind me. Yeah, that when it's you coming. see trailers nonstop for a movie, it's always it's a little desensitizing. It really is. That's uh, why I get show up late. I don't want to see the trailers. Yeah, I, I, I mean, occasionally I'm I'm excited to see a trailer, but by and large, by and large, no. Yeah, I saw, uh, I saw the I saw the Scorsese trailer. For oh the my first god. Time. So excited! Oh yeah, I'm so no, excited! Be, but they're not going to put in a fucking intermission, and I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, about three that. hours, twenty six about, minutes. You're going to hear about my anger about that. <laughs> Prepare well, for that uh, totally obvious take. Yeah, well, no, and and the fact that my cinema experience was preserved even with extra features that were happening around me. Extra features, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some extra features around me. That's I just, a, I like that euphemism. I I really am surprised how captivated, engaged, and uh, enjoyable it was because uh, it it lived up to all the ideas and expectations that I wanted, and uh, maybe not more so, but what I wanted. And I think that that is it's it, it's it's an exceptional series, and I'm glad that they yeah. that you know Macquarie and Cruz as this collaborating. Producer, director, writing partnership. <laughs> I do love these little intros where they they congratulate you for coming to the movie. I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, we can get those out. You, you, I don't we, need. We them. can get that out. I don't need them. Yeah, I don't need, because I'm coming anyway. I don't need to be congratulated. My, 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 to be we here. can get that out. We can yeah, get that out. I agree. Anyway, I I think this is yeah, this is well worth your time. Obviously, I think if you were looking forward to it, you've already seen it by now, or or you're going this weekend. But uh, if you yeah. if, if you haven't already um, devoted all your time and energy to sound, t- to Sound of Freedom, the the real the real movie, <laughs> hit. I was going to ask you about that because you got tagged on Facebook. I saw. I don't. Yeah. I. I. I um. <laughs> I, you know what can I say? Do we want to see Sound of Freedom, Ben? Do we want to go down that road? No. Okay. Uh, I was just I was going to let you decide. No. That. No. No. I, I mean, it's it's funny. I'm a I'm a known. Um, aficionado of uh, QAnon and QAnon adjacent phenomena. I have uh, some of my favorite podcasts. Uh, shout out to True Anon. Shout out to QAnon Anonymous. Shout out to Chapo. Shout out to Chapo. Yes, QAnon Anonymous and Chapo both did. So I'm, 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 I'm actually about... really curious because I actually didn't know much about this because uh, obviously this story, this this person who's uh, the fixation on this story came out years and years ago. Well, and the that... movie's been on the shelf for five years. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. made in 2018, and it, they couldn't get it distributed. 
They couldn't get it. And then they looked like they had a shot a couple of years ago, and then COVID happened, yeah. and then now, now it finally happened. Uh, yeah. So we don't have to go down this. No, road. no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I brought it up. So, so the, the gosh, I I'm, I'm going to forget every every relevant name, right? Uh, the organization and the guy that it's about, right? Um, so. I guess the top line takeaway that I'm getting from the people who are actually have seen the movie and who pay attention to the cultural phenomena surrounding various conspiracy theories, which center human trafficking, particularly the sexual trafficking of children, yeah, is that the movie is uh, not as crazy as they thought it might be because it doesn't go into the true crazy territory of. You know Hillary Clinton and Adrenochrome Farms. Yeah, 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 it doesn't yeah. go into that territory because the people who are in these organizations um, very much crave sort of legitimacy and not being roped in or, or sort of sort of grouped in with the the kind of QAnon conspiracy movement phenomenon. Although Caviezel is a vocal proponent of QAnon and Adrenochrome and all the sort of um, shall we say more fringy aspects of that um that movement that is true but the movie does not get into that um and it just sort of focuses on this one guy and his organization and their when their i hear that the ele- organization like it has not actually done what they say that so they so, so uh, um anna merlin and another reporter for vice has done a lot of reporting on this and i i commend their reporting to you i mean yeah yes it, 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 there's there's very big questions about what they have and haven't done well there's there's different sets of questions one is what they're doing the best way to confront human trafficking many say no okay. who are involved yeah. in the human trafficking world many say that what they're doing is not the best way for instance they go offering to like buy kids right to save Mm. them to buy them by saving them and one thing that that does is it increases the market for stealing children yeah that that would do it so if people show up with a bunch of money saying i want to buy kids to you know they're posing as people who want to buy them for nefarious purposes they don't want to buy them for nefarious purposes but they're showing up and flashing money to do it maybe it it increases provoking provoking. more child abduction because it creates the market yes i agree and then they bring these kids to be adopted by good Mormon families rather than to live with their families in, mm. in there. Oh, yeah, they're all Mormons. Yeah. It's a very big Mormon angle. Uh, so, so that's one criticism, them having inflated um, or fabricated stories about what they've actually done. Uh, there's a lot of profit and nonprofit um, interests that are kind of entangled with each other in the context of this organization. Famously, one of his for-profit endeavors is owning a, a CrossFit gym, interestingly enough. Mm. Uh, a lot of even operators who have worked with them have come away with certain issues about how they do their run their operation. They don't feel like they're very effective or um, doing things in the best possible way, even from the perspective of how you would you would run operations like these. Uh, there's a lot of question marks yeah. about these people. Well, and, and uh, there were question marks for me as soon as I started hearing about it and where I was hearing it from. And I was... I was concerned, and so I talked to Katie about it. She knew more about it than I did, and uh, well, yeah, but, and yeah, and you are uh, and and you are uh, serving up a lot of the 
the so, so a little bit of the gaps that are in in my understanding of it. So uh, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look uh, up the vice reporting because uh, yeah. now my, now my yeah, curiosity. So, so, is so, so yeah, struck. so those, those people have um, it's it's Anna Merlin and one other reporter, and they've done a lot of work on this particular issue. And uh, yeah, QAnon Anonymous did a big interview with them. I don't know if it's on their premium feed or their regular feed, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot of question marks. Let's yeah. just say about this organization. For sure. Uh, and you know, obviously, uh, human trafficking is terrible. Uh, yeah, it should ab- be stopped. Absolutely. But whether the, whether this organization is Evil. is doing a particularly good job at that, what their other interests and motivations might be. Uh, there are a lot of open questions about that. For sure, um, is, is my uh, yeah. understanding. Yeah, uh, but but because oh, uh, obviously the cultural division and what, what the the language being used is that if you are not seeing this movie, if you're against this movie, but, you are for ch- child but, trafficking. But what what is interesting, right? Is we and I mean maybe we should see one of these movies at some point because I feel like this cascading like right wing Christian movie industry yeah. is going to keep going. And I think the success of this movie will ensures that ensure yeah. that we're going to keep seeing these movies that it's like, well, thank, thank God, even though Hollywood is run by sicko pedophiles, uh, there is these a few good people who will make movies for us for the good people. And we've seen it with even like last temptation of Christ, American sniper, right? You, you see these more mainstream movies that kind of get picked up in that same way as, um, a kind of cause celeb for the right. And, and one thing that uh, I'm not the first person to point this out, but it is an interesting reflection of what we see on the left to where it becomes media consumption becomes a proxy for yeah. activism or doing good. Yes. Like what you yeah. consume and how you consume it. Like, you know, apparently there's a Caviezel does kind of a plea at the end of the movie and what he pleads for is people to buy tickets to his movie and give it those tickets away. That's the thing he pleads for. Yeah. Uh, so this this um, this cultural enmeshing en- of oh, cons- of cultural of the consumption of cultural product with kind of moral goodness and this need to think well feel like well they're going to make one for us right and that is be- that being a marketing tool that you sort of you're a good person by spending your money here. Uh, that feels like something that is very much with us and yes. will stay with us. And uh, I guess uh, it feels it feels just like another psychic scream in the face of people's sense of inefficacy, right? Yeah. This yeah. idea that, well, you're, the cultural product you take in is going to be the way you express how you feel yeah. and your kind of moral sentiments. I That very seems to me to be very much in the air these days and uh i don't um i'm suspicious that it will um yield any results in the, in uh, the, yeah. in the material world I, I i agree with outside you. of making some it will have one material consequence which is making some people rich oh yeah for sure that's well, what it is do. it is uh, that is fascinating a note that caviezel is Asking not not for you to be more aware of child trafficking, not for you to maybe donate to organizations of that variety, and to do your part. But no, your part is to buy tickets yeah. and to tr- and well, to and, and there's some sense around. that the, the the big number that this movie's put up has been done on the back at least some extent of these pay it forward screenings where people 
are um, buying big blocks of tickets and giving them away. That happens. Uh, we, you know, that, that happened at ArcLight quite a bit for some for for movies that were not were lesser known. Like they they just wanted to amp up the box office numbers. Yeah. It doesn't even matter that people are even attending these screenings. They're just buying out screenings. And, so that uh, so some of its um some of its commercial success may be attributable to that. It would seem a little bit. I I, I do believe that there is a momentum and an audience. For this oh, kind no of doubt. material, there's no, no doubt. doubt. Audience. Um, but I, I think it is a, I think a little bit height uh, bloated. I think just a little bit, maybe, so, maybe, maybe a third. So that's a little, uh, that's a little bit about it's that. Interesting. I, I was curious about that because obviously this, this, this exploded last week, and now it's still in our cultural conversation. And there was just no way I was going to go see it. You probably <laughs> see it for free. I could pay see it. Forward it. Screenings. Uh, I think I'd rather go see Mission Impossible again yeah, and support I mean, Scientology. Me, me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> You got to fight the good battle against Xenu. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, this was good. This was good, and and uh, we're we're gonna be. And this this is gonna make up for the fact because I, I know you're going away next week. Yeah, right? but, we but there's got, nothing well, coming out. So yeah, but then we we got to load up for got to load up. Uh, Oppenheim, Barbenheimer, yeah. is coming, and coming. we will it's see down, both. It's, it's coming down the pike. We will see both, and we will have a conversation about both. I think in the the following Monday. Yeah. After that comes. Yeah, out. yeah, we'll, we'll we'll be here for you. Um he's Kyle. Thank you. He's looking great yeah. actually. But uh. you should still give him your money. <laughs> I've tried to build up the squalor. The the bookcase in the middle of the room is gone. It is so gone. that's it, it's no longer looming over me uh, like the red specter of communism. <laughs> but uh but Kyle's here. He's he actually is looking good. He's doing good. But you should still give him his, your money uh on his Patreon. I know movies and you don't. I'm Ben. I do Dead Reckoner Substack. This movie was stolen from me, uh, and I will be pursuing legal action. I, I hope you do. I hope you get I, something I, I, I got to get a little slice, because somebody could carve me off just a little slice. Just a maybe. little bit. Well, just a little, just a tiny little slice of this movie. You deserve it. You well, deserve I appreciate, it. I, you I appreciate you. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll have a break next week, but th- th- this is a twofer in a week. So I think, you know, that we're yeah, doing, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, giving yeah, you, yeah, you a lot. You a lot of content. And so, and then the following will, Barbenheimer, that we're doing it we're doing it all and you know so we we're excited you so know we are we'll see you next time okay bye-bye oh i could press the button yeah Boo.